Mindfulness Mode 493. Not having any sense or idea about culture, values, mission, purpose. I just wanted to build something and maybe make some money right? as a young kid. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness right here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Hey, Mindful Tribe, today we're going to be talking about mindfulness and business. And before we do, I want to tell you about uh, a website that really has been awesome. It's a, a place where you can get URL addresses. And we all need those kinds of addresses for our business, like mindfulnessmode.com. That's one of the ones I got there. And it's such a great place because if you have problems understanding how this hall works to get your websites going, you can uh, phone them. They have telephone support if you need it. It's hover.com, H-O-V-E-R, and you can help Mindfulness Mode out by using our affiliate link and getting a discount for yourself. Go to mindfulnessmode.com forward slash hover. Now, we're going to go right into the interview, and so just sit back, relax, and enjoy today's interview with my special guest about mindfulness and business. Hey everybody, we're here to talk about business. We're here to talk about life in the business world and we're fortunate because we have David Hassel with us. Hey David, are you in mindfulness mode today? Uh, I am in mindfulness mode today, Bruce. Great to be here. That's great. Yeah, it's good to have you with us. David Hassel is a business columnist. He's a speaker. He's a serial entrepreneur who believes that when leaders institute cultural practices that support each person in being and becoming their best self, high performance and uncommon loyalty naturally result. As co-founder and CEO of a company called 155, and that's 15 and then F-I-V-E, 155, David and his team have developed industry-leading continuous performance management software and the best self-management methodology, which helps organizations create environments where people can truly thrive and put their unique strengths and talents to work in service of a mission they believe in. So it's great what you've put together with your company, 15.5. I can't wait to talk about it. But tell me, what does mindfulness mean to you, David? Yeah, you know, it's interesting reflecting on what you just shared about 15.5 and our mission and how we do business a little bit differently. None of that is even possible to even come up with without a sense of mindfulness. I don't think anything... I don't think anything tr- new truly gets invented unless you're in a present state, in a present state of mind, you have this opportunity to put things together, have a stroke of insight, have a, a, a desire or a passion or all of these things that lead to great new outcomes, I think come from mindfulness. And for me, it means first and foremost, a sense of presence and detachment from the thoughts about the, you know, the past and the uh, the thoughts about the future, you know, kind of worrying about the future or regretting the past or getting caught up in these stories that our brains just naturally send us into. And I think there's an opportunity when you become mindful to not only become present to what those thoughts are and have a little bit of a detachment from them, but also to be aware of what's actually going on around you, not through the lens of what you expect or what you think you're going to see. 
and uh, you know all sorts of great things. Coming. Well, when was it that it came to you that you could help employees and other companies, and and how did you move to that place? Yeah, it's a good question. I was a computer engineer by by schooling in, in college, and and I had had a bit of an entrepreneurial streak going back to you know, my grade school years. Always wanted to know I wanted to start something. And when I graduated from college, I didn't really have an opportunity at that point, or didn't have a a clear idea of what I would go pursue. So I went out and, and joined a big consulting company. Only lasted there about 10 months. It was at the end of 1999 and the dot-com boom was really happening. And I ended up leaving and starting a company in the ad tech space in New York City, not having any sense or idea about culture, values, mission, purpose. I just wanted to build something and maybe make some money right? mm-hmm. as a young kid. Yeah. And I, I learned the hard way years into it, realizing that my business partner and I had very, very different values. Not that his were bad or wrong. It's just that we had different values. And that actually created a lot of conflict. And so there was an insight there. And along the way, I joined this group called the Entrepreneurs Organization, EO, and started interacting with lots of different business owners, learning how to run businesses, got exposed to people like Tony Shea, who talked about the importance of of cultures, the CEO, Zappos. And, And along that journey... I also met a guy named Simon Sinek, who's now become very famous for his book, Start With Why, and a number yeah. of other books, right? right? So Simon, I met him a couple of years before that happened, when, when, before his now famous TED Talk. And I was almost moved to tears by his message. He was talking about how, you know, you really could find this sense of deeper purpose in your work, right? And when it came time to start 15.5, I was clear that from my past experience, that there was a likely scenario that I'd be working on this for a decade or more. And here we are about a decade in. So I was right. And I didn't want to be stuck in something that wasn't fulfilling along the way and wasn't making a significant, meaningful uh, impact in people's lives. So those are the table stakes for me. And inside of that exploration, I was reflecting on, on the areas where I'd struggled as an employee, where, where, where I'd grown, what, what I thought was possible you know, for business and wanted to create a company that stood for a completely different new paradigm where businesses thrive because they support their people in thriving, not at the expense of them. You know, my hypothesis was that we're now in a very, very different age than a lot of the ways businesses operate, which are holdovers from the Industrial Revolution, where we think about our businesses as machines and the people in them as cogs. We think about people as resources, which if you look up the definition of resource, they say it's something that can be transformed into value, but in the process may be consumed or made unavailable. Right? We burn up resources. And actually, most companies burn up people. Yeah. So I said, all right, well, that doesn't seem to really jive with the way I see the world going, because what companies now need is not hardworking, cheap labor who can follow a script. They need people who are lit up, who are passionate, who are creative. And those things don't come from the way we're, we're leading and managing people. So I thought, if we could create a different paradigm, companies would be far, far more successful. And so we're now, you know, we had this hypothesis 10 years ago. Today, you know, the company is growing extremely fast. Uh, we've proven it out for ourselves, and we're continuing to get better and better at delivering that experience to our customers. I'll give you, give you an example. This year alone, we grew from 70 to 185 people. We've maintained a straight five-star rating on Glassdoor with almost 80 reviews, which I think is unheard of. We've had only five people voluntarily leave the company ever, and 97% of our employees say they're better versions of themselves for having worked at our company in the past year. That is awesome. That must make you feel just fantastic. It's definitely a source of pride. Yeah. And I think that, again, that wouldn't have come without my own deep introspection 
right? And, and a sense of mindfulness and a practice of meditation that I had for, for a number of years. And, and I think for what we're doing, we're calling companies to become more mindful and question, why are they doing things, certain things in, in terms of leadership and management? Most of them are just doing it because that's the way it's already been done. And that's kind of the opposite of mindfulness. Well, your company is called 15515five.com, so you can check it out, 15five.com. But where did that name come from? Yeah, so it was interesting. In the early days, it was a placeholder name. I actually was looking for the name of the company. (laughs) Okay. And it actually comes from a a very simple business practice that we learned. The founder of Patagonia had had basically popularized this idea that he learned from his friend friend Doug Tompkins, who founded North Face and, and a company called Esprit, where they'd have every employee in the company spend 15 minutes a week writing a report that takes the manager no more than five minutes to read. And it was a very simple communication cadence. Yvonne claimed that it was this practice that allowed him to actually only work half the year and be out in the field climbing mountains and surfing the rest of the time. And so I thought, well, heck, if, if, you know, if he can grow a company like Patagonia working half the year, using this practice. I, I have a feeling some other CEOs would want to know about this. Yeah, for sure. So we started telling people, oh yeah, we're implementing this little 15.5 practice in this employee performance management software. And I was looking for the right name for the company, but I'd meet people two or three months later and they were like, oh, how's that 15.5 thing going? And they remembered this, you know, the, the, the name and the story were very sticky. So uh, we, we ran with it. And, you know, and today, if you know, we go to a conference, our logo is bright orange. And we're always number one on the list. So it's, uh, it's worked out pretty well in terms of <laughs> you know, unintended consequences on the name. Oh, that's great. That's great. Tell us a story about a company or an organization that you've helped through your work. Yeah, great question. So a company and organization we've helped through our work. There was a company that we started out very, very early with. Well, I, I should say this. So there were a number of companies that we essentially designed the product in partnership with. So it's a very kind of different way of doing product development. And you know, I went out to a bunch of people on my network, a company called headsets.com, Mike Faith, who was one of our early supporters, and another company called ZMC Hotels, very different businesses. There were probably you know, a dozen businesses. There was a physical therapy company in, in San Francisco. And we went out there and we started working with them and having them try this out, right? And then coming back to us and saying, like, well, here are the results. And it was really in, in partnership with them that we were able to figure out the things that worked and the things that, that didn't. And then as we grew, we essentially started building the product for ourselves. You know, the results that I shared, that 15.5 has achieved, uh, were, were achieved in part by what we've built to date and in part by our kind of leadership and management practices that we, call, we now call best self-management. So it's the counter to performance management, we say, when you support people in being and becoming their best selves, then you get performance and loyalty. And now what we're doing is we're continuing to evolve our philosophy and taking that philosophy alongside the product and delivering that through education and teaching and, uh, you know, and services. How would you say your philosophy has evolved in the last year? Oh, well, it's really interesting because I think that it's evolved quite a bit. We, I would say that we started out more with an intention than a philosophy. So we started out with this idea that how could we support our people really reaching and achieving their potential? And a lot of the things that we would do were, were a little bit different than, than other companies. For example, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings, we would get the entire company together for these 30-minute all-hands meetings. Uh, Monday and Wednesday were pre- specifically uh, business-related. 
And on Mondays, our chief culture officer leads a gratitude meditation for two minutes. And then we go into some more business-oriented topics. On Wednesday, we have what's called the meditation master is chosen for the month. And that person guides the entire company of 185 people through a five-minute meditation. And we get to meditate together as a company. And then on Fridays, the meeting doesn't have a business purpose. It's called Question Friday, where someone poses a question. They get, they get a month to do that. And everybody goes around and shares personal experiences with one another. Now we're too big to all do that in one Zoom room, but we split into breakout rooms. And so we would do these things. We would offer meditation and breathing classes. We would offer classes on personal finance, things that we felt like people needed to know in order to kind of be living great lives and doing great work. Some of our core values were cultivate health and vitality, embrace freedom and flexibility, and grant trust and be transparent. You know, so a lot of this stuff we were, we were kind of just doing from that intention. Then in the last couple of years, we started to codify it. We started to you know, kind of map all of the science that backs up what we do, looking at positive psychology, looking at Maslow's work, looking at you know, a lot of leading social science research. We hired a director of people science. And then only just in the last three months were we able to start to categorize what are the key pillars that a company, if they want to adopt this way of thinking, what are the key pillars they would need to know in order to put this into effect? And best self piece, which is focusing on the individuals, happens to only be just one of the pillars. We actually realized it starts with an organization creating what, what we call as a powerful shared context, right? So you have to have, that's where your core purpose, your mission, your vision, your values come in. But it's also things like agreements. It's also things like the amount of psychological safety in the company, the amount of trust that exists, principles, operating principles, all those kinds of things. Anything that you would kind of define as like, this is what we do and how we do it. Then from there, yes, you want to focus on people being and becoming their best selves, which is supporting them and having reflective mindfulness practices, helping them identify their strengths so they can continue to work on those and grow, cultivating a growth mindset, things like that. But then we also realize that it's not enough just to have the powerful context and the best self. You also need to support people in cultivating what we call relational mastery. Like they need to be able to operate because we don't exist in a vacuum. Everything that gets done is through collaboration and coordination with other people. And so if left to their own devices, people, the, the, the relating skills that most people learn through their families, their business, their, you know, business, uh, society, tend to have people end up in a lot of conflict or misunderstandings and starting to build resentments, which lead into blame. And you end up with drama and politics, resentment, blame. Those are the kind of the normal things that happen in organizations. And the antidote to that is to actually learn higher order relating skills more self-awareness, more empathy, more gratitude, how to connect with someone from a place of assuming positive intent, delivering truth with kindness. Um, you know, there's a number of principles that we've evolved. So when you put those three things together, creating the powerful shared context, support, focus on the individual best self, and then cultivate relational mastery, uh, those th three things together can help somebody create an environment that really has people just naturally thrive and then we're building out a lot of education inside each one of those pillars. So I know gratitude is a very important aspect of this to you. Why do you feel gratitude is so tremendously important? Yeah, well, I think that we are generally, human beings are, are really are wired very well naturally to, to find and look for what's wrong. It's just the way that it goes. And, and there's some evolutionary reason for it. It's, you know, we want to we keep ourselves safe. Right? right. And however, if you don't 
actively work on training the other side of that, which is actually looking for what's going well first, then you can get into a negative story about your life, your coworkers, your work, that isn't really the whole reality. There's often far more for us to be radically grateful for than we realize right in front of our nose. And I love some of the gratitude meditations we do on Mondays because, I mean, it'll it'll be as simple as we're going to spend two minutes reflecting on how incredible it is you can turn the tap on and water comes out. It's like, you know, in, in the grand scheme of human history, that is like profound, right? Not to mention we're standing here in, you know, two different cities over a video connection recording a podcast. I mean, or flying through an airplane with Wi-Fi. I mean, this is, it's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. What life is. And I think that humans, including myself, have an unbelievable capacity to take for granted. Like something new and profound comes out. We've got these, you know, laptops and iPhones and this incredible technology in our pockets walking around every day. And we just, we don't even think about how incredible that is because it's new for a moment and then it just becomes normal. And then we look for what's wrong. And so when we cultivate more of a positive mindset and a gratitude mindset, it does shift the brain chemistry. It allows us to be more creative, more relaxed, more connected. And if you look at some of the research around that, there's a guy named, great TED talk by a guy named Sean Aker, who uh, is a positive psychologist at Harvard University. And he talks about how when the brain is at positive versus negative, neutral, or stressed, all performance indicators rise, creativity, intelligence, uh, performance, positive business outcomes. So it's a real key piece. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you about your own personal meditation practice. What does that look like? Yeah. So I started meditating almost exactly 10 years ago in earnest. Before that, I'd been interested. I, I remember I remember getting a book uh, by John Kabat-Zinn, Wherever You Go, There You Are. Yeah. That was the first thing that kind of tuned, turned me on to some of these concepts. And then it was the end of 2009 that I started to practice. And at that time, it was just a seven-minute daily practice, which at the time seemed like eternity. But I very, very quickly went into doing these hour-long meditations for a three or four-month period where I was using some technology from a company called Centerpoint that does these binaural beats. And, right. and that really shifted some things in a big way for me. I noticed that I, I was more present and connected with people than I had ever experienced. I wasn't as stressed by the normal stressors of life. And on and off since then, I've had a variety of different practices that have typically settled on more of like a 20-minute body presence, breath presence practice where you know I just connect to my breath. I may notice there are sounds or emotions or thoughts, look at them, you know, uh, label them as, okay, I'm thinking, come back to my breath to build that connection. You know, I, I often tell people that all of these sensations and things, whether it's a thought or an emotion or sounds, right, tend to pull our awareness. We have an awareness and then we have those thoughts and emotions. And for most people, they're just coupled. You have a thought, your awareness goes with it. You have an emotion, your awareness goes with it. And my practice of meditation is simply trying to pull that awareness away from the thoughts and just be witness. And I find that allows me to become more present in the moment when I'm with my team, with my six-year-old son. It allows me to be self-introspective and self-reflective. The last few years, however, I've definitely had an on-and-off relationship with it. You know, when my son was born in the first few years, you know, my mornings were no longer under my control. Right. <laughs> you the alarm clock, you can't snooze. And my, you know, meditation time when I first wake up in the morning um, was challenged. More recently, I am able to get out of bed. And, and if I'm just home alone with my son, you know, I'll tell him and he'll give me the space, right, to go do that. Or we'll do a one minute meditation together. I might be like 15 minutes in and he'll come sit on my lap and just, uh, and just be quiet for the next five minutes. 
So oh, that's awesome. That's what my practice looks like now. You were once named by Forbes magazine as the most connected man you don't know. Have you always been connected? Were you that kind of a kid? I think I was always the kind of a kid who built a lot of connections. Uh, I, I always, if you, if you, if I think back on it, if you, looking back in high school or even in grammar school, I knew everybody. And I think the downside of that was I never really chose my people. Mm-hmm. So, for example, in, uh, in high school, there were, you know, the, the football players and I was on the swim team and there was the drama folks. And I was like kind of part of all those groups. I just, you know, I, I could easily float between groups and, and know everybody. And then I had a very small number of really, really close friends. And so because I, I think there's something about I like to connect with a, doc, a lot of different people. I'm, a, I'm able, I'm, I'm curious. I can go a lot of different places in terms of conversation. That's been around since I was since I was young. If you didn't have the company fifteen five right now, what other type of work would you choose to do? Yeah, I've thought about that, and I, I think one thing I think I would enjoy doing is working with emerging entrepreneurs who have a combination of a purpose and a profit motive, who want to go out and build companies that you know, will be financially successful, yes, but are also going to have a deeper purpose that make an impact in the world. So working on the side of, of coaching those folks, helping to invest or, or gather capital for those types of entrepreneurs. But uh, yeah, I think that that's what I'd be focused on. Interesting. David, I've worked in bullying prevention for a long time. So I always ask a question about that, about bullying. Is there a story you can share with us about bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference? Well, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about this recently and I wasn't really bullied so much as a child myself. I had, you know, one small incidence that I don't think, I don't think it would have made a difference in that case. But I I do now have a a six-year-old son who's a little bit small for his age. And we were just uh, at a soccer practice uh, just this past Friday. And uh, it was, it was the last soccer practice of the season. And he's on a team with not only, you know, the six, seven and eight-year-olds, he only just turned six. But he happens to be a smaller uh, six-year-old, and he came to me afterwards feeling a little dejected. And he said the kids were making, you know, saying that he was four, and you know, and, uh, and he said, "I guess it's because I'm short." And, and and you could see it was really impacting his um, his psyche. And I was able to, you know, really just sit down and help him to get a little space from probably the feeling of, of upset and shame. And uh, because I could see he, he was he was wanting to withdraw from the team, and we were able to, um, you know, kind of talk about maybe what was going on there, and you know, in one sense, what he could say in a situation where someone's you know saying something to him that he doesn't like, uh, and, and in the other sense, like how he can relate to it, like what he can choose. Like he doesn't have to choose to believe or buy into or be as affected by some of these things. Um, and and he was we, we had a really good dialogue, and he was able to go back out and. And I think he felt more confident to, you know, to basically say no if if that situation came up again. Well, that's a great story. Thanks for sharing that. As we move forward in the interview, David, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. First one is this. Who is one person who has uh, sort of influenced mindfulness in your life? Oh, that's a great question. My son's mom, when, when we met in 2009 and in 2010, uh, we, had, we had a mindfulness practice together. We also did uh, some, some education at the same time together. And I feel like, you know, that relationship was something where mindfulness was a value and helped cultivate it and entrench it in my life. 
How has mindfulness affected your emotions? Oh, gosh. Well, I know that I have emotions now. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I think that I didn't realize how much anxiety I used to carry around Mm. until I started to get some space and freedom from it. I, you know, when, when I think through a lot of that meditation I told you about in 2010, I started feeling a lot more open and, and, and less um, worried and anxious. And it was only in, in, in the rearview mirror that I was able to see what that actually was and how gripped I was by it. So I, I feel like it has definitely given me the space to notice, like, if I'm, if I'm having emotion, that I can do things. I can feel into it more deeply or I can breathe and I can, I can you know, get some space from it if I need to. Yeah. And speaking of breathing, can you elaborate on that? How is breathing part of your mindfulness practice? Oh, it's a huge part. Um, you know, there, there are a variety of breathing techniques that I think are, you know, both modern mindfulness coaches, as well as, you know, a variety of ancient lineages have put uh, attention on the, on the power of breath. And I think first and foremost, you know, when you, when you breathe in a certain way, when you're taking deep breaths, and you are also breathing in a way where your your inhales, your exhales may be longer than your inhales, or at least equal. You know, you start to trigger the parasympathetic nervous system. Uh, it turns out that when we go into fight or flight mode, we tend to be, breathe very very shallow. Uh, it, it impacts our, neuro, our physiology and neuro, neurology. Certainly makes us ready to be able to move very quickly and run if we're filled with adrenaline. If there's actually a fight or flight type of situation. But, but it can also cloud our thinking and hijack our thinking, frankly. And so if we can start to, to use the breath to breathe more deeply and bring ourselves back into a calm state, we can get more you know, global awareness over, the, over, the, over whatever situation that we're in. David, is there a book you could recommend that's related to mindfulness? I would say there are two. One's right behind you, The Power of Now. Now oh, yes. Yep. Uh, certainly a classic and a favorite. And then the first book that turned me on to mindfulness years before I started my practice was a book by uh, John Kabat-Zinn, uh, Wherever You Go, There You Are. And he had some great guidance in there. I think one of the challenges a lot of people get when they first start meditating is they think that they're supposed to be able to stop their thoughts. And when they can't do that, they give up and they say, I'm bad at this. That's kind of like saying, well, shoot, I thought I could start, stop my heart beating and I, I'm just going to, I'm going to give up. And, you know, you could slow your heart down and get a lower resting heart rate through exercise. You can certainly slow your thoughts down. You're not going to stop them. And so the point is more about, you know, like John Kabat-Zinn and that he gave a great analogy. You're, you're in this river and meditation is like you get out of the river and sit by the shore and watch the river go by. And so, you know, that's just one of the, one of the things that I often caution people not to get the wrong idea or expectation when they start. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. John Kabat-Zinn is a great communicator for sure. Is there an app that you could tell us about that can help with mindfulness? There are a couple that I know that are very popular. Headspace and Calm, I think, are the two most popular. I've personally always uh, used uh, Insight Timer from the early, early days when it was just a gong. Uh, Now they have a bunch of interesting things in there and a community and whatnot, but I love Insight Timer. I love the kind of tones that they use for the start and the end of the meditations. And then internally in 15.5, we've also been using something called meditation.live, which we bought subscriptions for all of our employees. I think they're more corporate focused, but, but that's a great app as well. Okay, good to know. We'll put that in our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. So check out the show notes and check out 15.5.com, 15FIVE. 15.5.com. Is there any place else we should connect with you to learn more about what you do, David? 
Yeah, I, I would say if you if you love if you like the best self management concept, which is best hyphen self, and the idea of we're focusing on managing people to be their best selves, not for performance. You know, performance is the byproduct. We've got a great new podcast, 155.com slash podcast. Uh, we've also got a blog. We talk a lot about these things on 155.com slash blog. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter uh, at dhassel, D-H-A-S-S-E-L-L. Yeah, actually, I, I've enjoyed your podcast. Yes, oh, I've great. listened to some of the episodes and I've enjoyed it very much. Uh, really interesting conversations you have on there. So That's great. Thank you. Yeah, I would highly recommend yeah, checking out the podcast as well. So, David, it's been great having you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Likewise, Bruce. I really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. All the best to you. Bye now. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest's name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. Oh, and a reminder of what I said at the top of the show about buying URLs, buying website addresses. Go to hover.com, H-O-V-E-R, and use this code. Well, it's just an address that will take you directly there so you can get $2 off your next purchase. Go to mindfulnessmode.com forward slash hover. So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep mindfulness mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.